Hello and welcome to episode number 190 of the Chris Knott podcast. Um, it's been a while, um, I haven't been getting around to these as much as I'd like to, but hopefully there should be uh, more than enough content for you to uh, get through at this current time. Uh, today's another solo uh, podcast and it is going to be all about um, how, uh, sorry, the differences in training men and women. So basically, um, are there any gender differences or what, you know, what do we need to account for when training men and when training women and a little bit more about female training as well. Um, just came through as a client question or a question off um, the internet and I just thought uh, it was a really, really good topic because I think the, the blueprint is there as in like we should, um, you know, there's not too much difference in terms of biomechanics, but I think there are massive differences in terms of um, joints, tissues and obviously for hormonal uh, reasons. So, um, first things first, I think that, you know, before training anyone, regardless of them being male or female, the uh, the most important thing is that you've established a goal. Um, understanding a, you know, what a person is looking to do um, is a vital part of, um, of your program design and obviously the considerations that you're going to make. And with, I'd say, 90% of people who you'll see, a lot of them will say, you know, I want to lose weight, I want to feel stronger, I want to tone. Um, but generally speaking, you, you've got to assess the, the amount of movement they're currently doing. So a, a useful little exercise is to, is to kind of imagine yourself in that person's body and in that person's um, lifestyle. So just think, you know, ask them questions, be a little bit, not probing, but just say, you know, how much walking do you do? How many steps do you do? How often do you go to the gym? Um, and then think about what it must be like to be in their body. So if they've got like a shoulder issue or an elbow issue or a neck issue and so forth, you're trying to recreate, well, if they can't do that with that joint because of an injury or restriction, what what's that going to feel like? And it was a really, really useful tip that I got in, in clinic at Osteo um, College um, from one of the tutors. It's like really try and imagine what it's like to be that person and how they move. And all you're trying to do, because uh, one question I get asked quite a bit is, what do you look for when assessing people? Is, is just look for the movement quality and what looks like it doesn't move very well. Um, what does the person lack and so forth? I know that can be quite vague, but I will just, I would say to someone, right, can you either walk up and down the room or could you do some squats for me, please? Could you maybe do some, you know, uh, lunges? Could you do some hinges? Assessments really, when when you break them down into very, very minute, bespoke, um, small movements are useful from a therapy point of view because we can see joint action, um, but that's because we have the ability to touch and and feel the joint. But as, as a trainer, what you're looking for is just something that is either not moving or moving too much. And I'll just get people to do the exercise as many times as I see fit uh, whilst I'm scanning a joint. So what's going on with that ankle? Why is that ankle rolling in? Or why is it staying on the outside? What's happening to that knee? What's happening to that hip? And then all you can do then is go into isolatory movements, so active movements, and then trying to figure out what's going there. So for example, you notice somebody does a squat and the hips are kicking out to the side a lot and they're kicking out to the right. So then you say, right, can you just stand on your 
right foot. And when they stand on the right foot, they massively fall to the side and they're very wobbly. So we've got a connection there. Well, in the in the global pattern, such as a squat, they're falling to that right-hand side. When we've isolated it and look at a simple feature such as standing on one leg, they're unstable. So the question from there is, well, if they're unstable, well, we'll work on some stability in that sense. So we'll work on that um, ability to just you know stand on one foot. So the problem with that is, is that this person's coming for body composition and they're saying to you, you know, I want to lose weight. You don't want to be just having them standing on one foot and, and doing nothing in that, mo- in that movement. So this is where we, you can use smart circuits where we can think, right, well, I need to improve this person's proprioception. So basically their ability to stand on one foot and do that prior to the session. If I get them to just do some body weight lunges, maybe 10 per side, then get them to do 30 seconds on the standing on one foot. If I keep the intensity right, this is a really, really useful way of actually getting them to warm up and actually using the stability drill as a, as a rest. So it's it's a ways of integrating these things into that. So the reason why I've started this before going into the gender differences is that there is a universal way of training people which is looking at what is the most logical thing and you'll hear me talk about this more and more and more is that squats deadlifts compound movements you know strongman stuff bodybuilding it's all amazing it's all brilliant ways to train but for the vast majority of people they do need preparation phases uh, you know which can be you know sometimes four six eight or even 12 weeks of just movement quality of actually getting joints going because if someone is sat down all day and is stagnant and is is basically gone from doing no activity to go into a gym Taking it as a given that they can squat, deadlift, and press is is misinformed. It it really is, and you know I don't I don't want to always um, you know I don't I don't like speaking in absolutes, but you know if someone is in a desk job and they sit for eight hours a day and then they drive for two hours a day and they've done no form of other exercise, really the last thing they want to be doing is is squats and deadlifts initially. The body needs to move and it needs to move in dynamic ranges. If you're unsure what I mean by that head on to Instagram and there'll be a post loading the planes and that'll give you a little bit more information about what I mean by that phase. So anyway, let's get stuck into the actual um, let's get stuck into the actual topic in terms of gender differences between men and women. And to be honest, the the first area that I'd want to start on is is actually psychologically. So um, understanding the differences in what pe- um, in the way they'll approach you from a from an outlook point of view, because with with men they will want to lift heavier. They will want to have that kind of feeling of not necessarily showing off. But they they they're not necessarily that responsive to um, to you know saying right let's slow things down let's lighten the load let's do that because they always want to portray that they can lift as much as they can and I'd say that in the uh, all the time of being a personal trainer this is a pretty consistent theme is that the, um, whenever I've said right let's slow this down let's l- reduce the load especially on a chest exercise I've got no idea why but on chest exercises men find that really challenging to do. Whereas women, it's the opposite, where it's usually a fear of load, where I don't want to, um, I don't want to load too much, or I don't want to do this, or I don't want to do that because of either fear of injury or fear of putting on too much muscle. So it's just understanding like how to approach things from a psychological point of view, and I always go, I always go by the approach of break things down so it makes the person feel a bit of an idiot if they don't take your advice. So what I mean by that is. 
you know, it's it's that explanation and understanding. So if it's a guy who wants to lift heavy weights with a with a chest press, he said, you've come to me because you want to improve the size of your chest and you want to get stronger. Eccentric training is a much, much better way of building muscle and building strength if done correctly. Therefore, we're going to do, use a lighter load and go slower work on a pause, work on the contraction and actually be able to use your chest rather than just loading your joints, springing out of the movement and trying to lift as much as possible. The most common reason that people get in, injured when in um, when in the gym is because they're lifting too much weight which they can't handle. I don't want you to get injured. So that you leave that with the guy, you've explained that to them and if they then go off outside of you know working with you and lift too much weight and injure themselves, at least you can say, well, I did tell you that. With women, you can explain that you know due to testosterone levels, due to um, due to the amount of food that they be eating, um, that lifting weights is not going to add too much muscle tissue, especially if they're only doing twice per week. But I think that client communication is is massive, and just you know, I suppose it is a little bit of a stereotype to say that's the way things are, even though you know generally speaking it is. Um, however, what I'm trying to put across is is that explaining the logic behind the session really, really does help people, and it's going to help you understand how you can help your client. So, for example, if a guy does feel like they really want to lift something heavy, actually find an exercise setup where you can do that. So that might be a pin press, so where you're pin it, um, pushing out from the racks, or about be an explosive movement where they get to throw something, or something where they can just lift in a safe manner. If people need to do something, then give it to them because this is the whole point of personal training. However, you've always got to look at it from a fitness professional point of view is that you don't do something which isn't um, which isn't in the best of interest for their joints and their capabilities. So in other words, if they don't have the ability to do something, don't let them do it. If they want to do something, find a variation where they can safely do it. So if they want to lift something heavy, find something that they can do in a safe manner, but then always offset it, where if they've done like a, you know, a chest press machine with a short range of motion, then focus on some shoulder movements, which would then take them through the full ranges of motion. So when we're thinking about um, gender differences, obviously the biggest one is going to be um, is going to be pregnancy and post-pregnancy women, and that is that is huge. However, there isn't too too much of a difference between post-pregnancy women, especially the ones with cesareans, and people who have had any form of stomach incision or operation on the midsection, and that can be a herniation as well. And this this concept of core strength or you know or rigidity and ability to stabilize through the midriff is a huge huge component when it comes to training anybody. What you can take is that generally speaking, any women who have had kids is gonna they're gonna have an issue with this because they've had a, a long period of time where the muscles around the midsection have been stretched. Now, when it comes to that, you know, quote unquote core rigidity, just think of it rather than musculature, it's also fascia. Um, and fascia is just connective tissue that is goes over the muscles and under the skin. And that helps us create power and create um, dynamic movement throughout the body. Now, the more taut this is, so the more contracted fascia is, the greater we have, the greater ability we have to create explosive movement, strong contractions and move very quickly. Now, when somebody has had stretch fascia, and this can obviously be through pregnancy, but it can also be through excessive weight gain. So if they have a large, um, you know, a large stomach on them or are carrying a large amounts of body fat, is that you've then stretched this area. This, so this area isn't as taut. It's not as um, highly wound. 
it's it carries a lot of load however the ability of the pelvis so you know see your, your hips and um, to integrate with the rib cage and rotate up um, across each other isn't going to be um, is, isn't going to be as strong as perhaps it once was so core work or at least core rigidity work and teaching somebody how to transfer the rib cage over the pelvis whilst correcting them um, uh, having the correct amount of center of pressure in the feet is really really essential now I would say that's the case with anybody but remember we're doing this with people who have had um, you know have uh, have had this fascia stretch for a long period of time so if you've got a woman who's had twins and then she's had a c-section that's a massively massively uh, compromised structure in the body so if someone said to you know that that girl or that woman then goes into the gym and is doing any form of hip hinging or loading or spinal loading directly i'm not saying they sh- they, they they shouldn't be doing it but i would say what are they likely to do they are likely to be able to uh, they are likely to load the spine they're, they're likely to find ways of cheating and that's why nine times out of ten post-pregnancy women who aren't rehabbed properly or not rehabbed or not who don't uh, who don't uh, train postnatally properly when they go into the gym and then they start lifting heavy they end up with lower back or shoulder pain so um so neck pain and that's just because the spine is bailing them out the, the body is stabilizing through the spine as much as possible so from a practical point of view when training women you always you, the the first thing that you'd look for is this glute foot to glute connection so you know i would say you know get them in in their bare feet or if they're in the gym just get them in the socks um, if they feel comfortable just ask them what they're comfortable with always be really transparent with people and say um you know what do you what do you feel comfortable with if you don't feel comfortable then we can just do this but really honestly you'll you'll see so much and it'll make so much sense when when you can see somebody's feet and essentially when you're first doing this you'll be looking for an asymmetry uh, and that just means one size uh, one side is um, is smaller than the other but with women who generally have small feet, you may notice that if, they're, um, if they've increased weight recently, then they'll also increase the weight of their, um, they'll also increase thickness and tension in the lower limbs and the calves. And that's because if there is a, for whatever reason, there's a weakness in the forefoot so that they've spent a lot of time in heels or they don't have um, very good strength in the feet, the body essentially chops that off, that forefoot and the, the uh, basically from the metatarsal and above and it utilizes the the shins and it utilizes the calves as a means of gaining rotation so what that essentially means is they're going to you're going to find a lot of restrictions tension build up um, and tightness so this is where you might get a woman who has shin splints she might have um she might have plantar fasciitis um she might have you know is it really I, i'm not really bothered about the symptoms you know you can treat the symptoms with whatever but it's about the mechanism and understanding what the body's trying to do so the the foot connection is because Again, this is very generally speaking, is that if, if women are more mobile, so basically the, the, you, you will find that women can have uh, hypermobility a lot of the time, they will be more mobile in the hips, is that when handling load, they have to store it somewhere. They have to find these places where they can store the load and create rigidity in order to move. And quite commonly, this is through the spine. So it might be the lumbar spine, and if not, it might be the thoracic spine. So this, this 
doesn't have to be just with training. This can just be with day-to-day things such as walking, carrying the kids, you know, carrying shopping, carrying a handbag and so forth. So with this all being said, you then got to think, well, what do I need to do before I can do the things that I, the trainer and the, and the, um, and the client wants to do? And that's stabilize the midsection, get them aware of their feet and move the thoracic spine. Now, obviously, it goes without saying, one of the biggest differences between men and women is going to be breast tissue. And when women do have larger breasts, this does take, this is something you need to consider. And also, um, it doesn't matter, it doesn't always necessarily matter on the size. However, it's also the posture in which they hold themselves in. Because, you know, from a um, social stigma point of view, if a woman was walking around with the chest stuck out, it would obviously look a little bit um, like, you know, what is really socially acceptable men do that all the time especially in the gym because it's trying to show a sign of dominance but this is where understanding someone's personality massively massively comes into the play because someone if someone's shy timid um you know is very reserved and sits at a desk job and they have that kind of huddled up posture is that their body will have a resting state where they're hunched forward where the, the shoulders are maybe rounded and so forth so if somebody's got this position and then we say, right, we'll come in here and then we'll get you doing some exercises, let's get you doing some chest press machines or dumbbell press, is that if that structure is already rigid in that direction, why are we trying to add load to that direction? Also, if somebody's thoracic rotation is limited, so if a woman's thoracic rotation is limited and you're trying to get her to do a movement which requires the scapula to move around the thoracic thoracic spine where do you think she's going to get irritation and the answer is it's going to be around the upper thoracic in the neck so painting this picture of the most important things you want to do when training a woman is understand her connection to her feet is she stable on her feet is she able to balance and does she have rigidity in her feet and this is where something if you go onto youtube apx youtube uh, channel go on big toe planks um, sounds ridiculous, but big toe planks, just use that as assessment. Just use, just try that exercise, try it for one side, see what you feel. Is it stable? Is it not? Can the person do it with load? Can they increase the load? That is a brilliant assessment for looking at the strength of the feet. If somebody is weakness with that, and that's coupled with an instability when standing on one foot, so just stand on one foot, then what you can do is then put together a very simple warm-up routine which puts them together. And warm-up routines become that person's daily a daily movement plan. So when getting someone to stand on one leg, always look for what's called the bailout plane. And the bailout plane basically means if they stand on one foot and they have, they, they may, first of all, extend the knee. So they extend the knee and that's a way of just creating stability through the knee because they don't have the strength eccentrically in the quad. Or they, they might throw themselves out to the side or they might fall themselves in or they might rock forward or back. But it just basically means, and that's why it's good to get, to, to get them to do this test whilst walking around them. It just basically means you're trying to find when they stand on one foot, where do they fall into? And all that means is get them to do this exercise with a little bit of support. So get, get them to be supported. And then whilst they're in that support, supportive position, you can then get them to go out of that um, bailout. So basically, if they're falling to the right, get them to hold themselves central or to the left and with a slightly bent knee and get them to breathe. Because if you can improve respiration mechanics in conjunction with foot stability, a lot of magical things happen to someone's movement quality. So we're looking for foot connection. Then we're looking for core rigidity. Now, again, breathing is is an absolutely wonderful thing. And obviously, if you listen to the podcast, you'd be very... Um, 
familiar with breathing and its importance, but it only goes so far in terms of when it comes to load. So when we're dealing with hyperphysiological loads, which basically means anything weight training, because you know body weight exercises, it may be okay, but as soon as we add load to our body with resistance training, it becomes uh, a state where we need to have, well, well, breathing mechanics need to just manage the situation. And as things get heavier and heavier, it's just about managing the situation, not being hypothetically perfect, because you know we should have breathing, we should breathe in and out depending on different stages we're walking and running through however if you to do that when squatting a one rep max it would end very very badly so when it comes to breathing mechanics you want to be able to teach a female especially um, how to use that diaphragm and draw air down because if a diaphragm is is tight and restricted or, or diaphragm is weak and enduring what we forget is that yes the diaphragm is used for breathing but it's a huge huge stabilizer of the thoracic spine and and the and the torso it's a massive stabilizer through that and if it can't if the thoracic spine can't stabilize and doesn't know how to rotate with strength the body will find ways and find mechanisms of compensating this which is to make the, the thoracic spine itself so that like mid-range position the upper back think in between your shoulder blades between the bottom of your neck to uh, to make that very very rigid and that will transfer all the way down into the lumbar spine and the more this person either runs or walk uh, or walks or does any uh, any form of lifting so we've got we've got foot stability with the breathing breathing dynamically so teaching them how to create traction and that can be you know in a plank side plank loaded carry cable carry i really really am starting to um love giving people cable variations where they're just holding a position learning to breathe and then rotating around it and um, there's some fantastic variations there a lot of them i've just in fact the a whole catalog i've just uploaded to the apx members site um, and and then finally, um, the final one when it comes to uh, comes uh, comes to women is that scapular movement, because if they lose what's called scapular thoracic rhythm, so basically the scapula's ability to move around the spine, if they lose that, what happens is is they'll gain hypermobility in the shoulders, and this is where they'll go. I've got a clicky shoulder. Um, so I've had it a lot of the time where you, you're looking at somebody's um, or female's shoulder range of motion and it seems good and like, oh yeah, I'm really mobile through the shoulder, but it keeps clicking. That is the body's way of creating an adaptation by creating ligament or tendon laxity to compensate for the fact that the scapula don't move. Scapula are massively, massively dependent on hip mechanics. I would even go as far as saying if you've got compromised hip mechanics, you've got compromised scapular mechanics. In fact, I'd say that's pretty pretty damn certain. So if somebody's hips are really rigid or they don't have the ability to stabilize, neither are the scapula. So when we put this together and kind of paint a picture, you'll start to see that there's so many factors that we can work on and get people training outside the usual, let's get them to do some, right, they can't squat, I'll get them on the leg press. They can't, you know, they can't deadlift, I'll get them on a hamstring curl. Um, you know, you want people to move dynamically in different ranges of motion. And the great thing about this is it can be very, very fun and it can be more like an aerobics exercise as part of the, as part of the warm-up. So say you've got somebody doing reverse lunges into side lunges into a leg raise and their, their foot is teaching them how to go in all these different directions and they have to do 10 each side. If you do that for 10 each side on both sides with something like a kneeling plank, then a dead bug, then a, then a single arm farmer's carry, that as a circuit two or three times through would be perfect for somebody like that. 
And what you're doing is you're increasing body temperature and it doesn't have to be too challenging. So what I mean by that, it doesn't have to be where they're adding load or they can't do it or they're trying to compensate. Because generally speaking, and this is a really important thing to remember, is that people, um, general population, will usually compensate more as load increases. So, you know, when people haven't been to the gym that often, if the, as you increase load, they will generally find an easiest way to compensate, especially if not been uh, taught a movement properly. So it doesn't mean that you can't do any of the things that you typically do, squat, deadlift, press, whatever. It doesn't mean that. It just means prepare them for the state that they need to be in prior to, uh, to, them, uh, to them lifting. Moving on to men, because I haven't really uh, gone into too much different, um, too much with uh, men, but I do um, do want to touch on that, is that men are very different in terms that they have rigidity. Again, this is very generally speaking, because there's there's very, there's different presentations, but men generally develop rigidity and stiffness as a way of creating stability. And when this is the case, they'll be strong through certain ranges of motion. So basically through mid-ranges of motion, they'll probably be strong. However, they need the ability to slow things down and get into those specific areas um, which they don't have access to. So in terms of, well, is there a different approach? The answer really would be no. There wouldn't be too much of a different approach in terms of you want to train the feet, you want to train the um, train the midsection, you want to train the scapula. However, the mobility side of things may be a mechanism which they use to actually stabilize if they've trained before. So there's a very, very different approach when it comes to somebody who is trained and is very immobile and someone who hasn't trained and is very immobile. And one of the things that you wouldn't want to do with that is stretch statically because with the static stretching that will what that will basically in, um, increase or reduce sorry the rigidity that that person's put there put there to protect themselves because it's going to be a very protective mechanism however what you do what you do want to improve is getting them to the end ranges safely so again this is where pauses in eccentric training can be very very useful Again, the, what I would say is that, you know, as we've spoken about with women and, and taking for granted that they've got X, Y, Z with them in terms of the um, postnatal and so forth. Again, like I say, you can use the same approach with males, but it's the more the psychological factor is that find out what it, you know, what it um, means a lot to them. Because, again... There, there's a perfect world so there's, there's the ideals and then there's a the reality and that's something that we really don't get taught enough about as personal trainers it's like well this is the way it goes this is the way it says in the textbook and this is the way you do macros and this way you do an exercise and remember it's personal so if you get people to do things which they generally feel bad at and emasculated at as a man then that's going to be something that they may go, well, you know, I wanted to get a bigger chest and bigger arms. And this guy had me doing a load of kettlebell windmills and stretching and, and all this, you know, uh, all this rubbish is that you've got to win somebody over by giving them what they want in a sense, but also figuring out what you need to overcome that. So, for example, guy wants to bench press. You let them bench press. You let them do it to the safest position you can. But then you spend the rest of the session where you're then trying to reverse that by doing either some ranges of motion. And what you could say is like, what are you going to do? We're going to breathe in and breathe and do this and do that. And this is the reason because you're going to be very, very contracted here. So I need that to then to expand it there. So I'd say it's definitely, definitely about communication and understanding what that person wants and how you can give it to them. But anyway, um, if you have any follow-up questions to that, especially with the female training, please feel free to let me know. 
I've got a whole um, uh, tutorial on female hinging mechanics going live to the APX member site in April. That'll teach you all about this actual topic, about how to um, understand when a woman can't hinge, when she can, why all hinges are different and people hinge in different manners and at different joints, um, and what to do in order to improve that mechanism. So that'll be up on in April. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the APX YouTube channel. There's another 12 videos going up in the next 12 days as well as the myofascial fitness series um, apart from that if you have like I say if you have any follow-up questions or any other topics you'd like me to talk about feel free to dm me on instagram or you can email me chris at apxed.com apart from that thank you for so uh, thank you so much for listening have a wonderful day and much more content coming your way very soon